This podcast was recorded on the land of the Dharawal people. Welcome to Teach Insights from Catalyst, the podcast that explores the science of learning and its practical implementation in the classrooms of Catholic Education, Canberra Goulburn. I'm your host, Luke Mooney, and in each episode, we'll hear from teachers and leaders who are leading the way in implementing evidence-based teaching practice. Today, I chat with Toby Flavel, Acting Facilitator of Pedagogy at Lumen Christi Catholic College, Pambula, New South Wales. In addition to this role, Toby coordinates Year 7 Integrated Humanities and STEM, and also teaches Year 8 to 12 Maths. In this episode, he shares valuable insights about his involvement in the implementation of Catalyst, and how he skillfully incorporates high-impact teaching practices into his secondary maths lessons. So whether you're an educator looking to enhance your teaching, or simply someone curious about the science of learning, this episode promises to offer valuable takeaways and inspiration. So without further introduction, let's get started. Hi Toby, welcome to Teacher Insights from Catalyst. Hi Luke, thank you. Toby, what's been your role implementing the aspects of Catalyst in your school? Uh, my role in, um, in the college is Acting Facilitator of Pedagogy this year. Um, uh, from the start of Catalyst, I've been uh, a maths teacher, a practitioner um, in the high school. Um, so I teach in secondary and um, I was acting in this role last year. So as a leader, I watched um, and assisted the staff do some of the, um, the high impact teaching practices training. And this year I'm doing that as well. So I'm, I'm helping the staff, well, I'm watching the staff with their training. Um, I, I'm a maths teacher in secondary, so um, I'm trying to apply some of the high impact teaching practices and um, and I guess just uh, oversee the implementation at our college. Great, great. So what's in this Catalyst journey of ours? What training have you undertaken? Uh, I've, I'm training this year, actually. So um, I'm watching my deliverables come in, but I'm doing the high impact teaching um, training this year. What sort of... What does that involve? There's the face-to-face days of professional learning and then um, the take-home work, which is, um, well, for me, uh, changing and augmenting my practice. Um, I've been uh, fortunate enough uh, to be part of a teaching team that have done the the training over the last few years. So um, uh, the way that it's been seeping into our college um, has been... Well, like little spot fires, really, um, and um, teachers have have brought in um, their their experience from the um, the high impact teaching practices training, and just running with it in different areas. Uh, particularly science in the secondary was um, like a wildfire in the college at the start, and um, it's really just um, blossomed and evolved from there. So as more t- more of our staff are trained, um, the um, the practices have kind of spread throughout the college. And I've noticed um, it's actually part of the teacher talk around the staff rooms and certainly um, the students are starting to use um, some of the words from the training now as well. Are you able able to jump into or expand more on the science aspect? You said that it spread like wildfire. Are you able, like, what are the sort, like, what made it spread like that? What are the things that happened in, in there that people liked when they saw it and they picked up and they ran with? Yeah, sure. You know, for new teachers and for old teachers, we look at we look at um, a lot of what's said in the research, and a lot of it's very familiar. 
I'm thinking particularly about Rosenstein's principles of effective teaching. Um, all of those things are part of good practice and all of those things, like I say, are familiar and have been. Um, the science of learning stuff, um, you know, that content about where we store th- new in- bits of information, um, things about cognitive load, we know all this. Um, I think when staff first um, started attending um, the training, um, it turned those um, those pieces of knowledge that we had into intentional work um, that wasn't stuff that, that just happened because that's what we do. It's actually stuff that, um, that was done on purpose rather than accidentally and, and in the bits and pieces of the day. And um, when I think in, from, from an outside observer, it looked to me like the science faculty here, they saw the power in that and um, the effectiveness uh, with the consistency and, uh, and how obligatory um, participation, um, that full participation and full engagement um, work was having an impact on the students. And, um, you know, when that was seen quite quickly, uh, there was a decision made that this is what we're doing. And, and I guess, again, from an outsider's point of view, the first thing I saw was powder pop sticks everywhere, you know, and, you know, we were just kind of looking and thinking what's going on over here. And, um, there was a buzz, um, which I think is probably a familiar buzz. Uh, you know, I've heard, uh, teachers have said to me, um, that, you know, in 30 years or 30 plus years of teaching, um, while there's been lots of things that have that have had an impact on their practice, this this has actually been one of the biggest changes to their practice. And again, it's not that these um, these principles weren't there, and it's not that they weren't doing it; it's just that they were being done in a really intentional way. Um, and so I think so I think that was the change, and that was the change in science. And then as more and more um, staff members um, started doing the um, the training, um, and I think more people could see the benefit of it. What are some of the strategies that have been implemented to promote the HITP? Yes, well, so we're, I guess we're looking at um, full participation, full engagement strategies. Uh, one of the earliest things um, that we had at Lumen, um, and we're, you know, I guess we've, we've had a look at um, the wisdom of visible learning and things like that. So we've had, we've had learning intentions and success criteria um, quite prominent in our classrooms uh, for a long time. Um, at some stage in the last few years, um, uh, the college provided every classroom with uh, magnets to stick on the boards. So, um, so the, first, the first visual cue that students get when they walk into um, most classrooms is that there are learning intentions here and there's success criteria and so there's a reason for me to be here and there's, there's something for me to do that will indicate that I've had success. So these magnets that you're talking about are like stickers that stick on the whiteboards. That's exactly right, yes. We, we saw them as we walked around today and they're on every whiteboard. Yep. And so all the teacher needs to do is when they start the lesson is list that list those learning intentions and success criteria. Yeah, that's correct. Like, and there's some, there's some cues about, you know, the, the, there are sentence starters on the magnets as well as our school-wide pedagogy. But, um, you know, students should be able to. Yep. Um, and I guess um, for me and for my practice, uh, what's been augmenting um, me writing my learning intentions is, is I guess, the input from, um, or for me, the Teach Well training that my, um, my learning intentions um they need to have, um, it needs to be a skill, a concept and a context. And so when I'm doing that, um, 
that's something I tend to make sure I always write. Uh, I've noticed in my students that, you know, they walk in, they look at it and they'll either, you know, start talking about it or try and predict what's going, what's coming. Um, and I, I think it's a bit of nice predictability for those guys to know what the point of them being in my classroom each day is. Can you, you, t- you were telling me about a story before with maths and normal distribution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the job of the students was to be able to identify key features of a normal distribution or something similar like that. And, um, there was some gentlemen at the back kind of, you know, using the words that under there for the learning intention and just ribbing and jostling each other. Well, why don't you tell me what they are? And the other the reply was, well, I don't know. It's what we're going to be learning today. Um, and, you know, so that was one anecdote. I guess the other times um, when I've been a bit slow to get up there, um, students will grab a whiteboard and, and try to predict them and start writing them up themselves or, or get me to dictate from the back of the room where I'm standing, which I also think is quite nice. And they'll just chin it for you and say... <laughs> yeah, no, they're writing on the on the front whiteboard. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're writing it for me. Yeah. So they're seeking. They want to know what the lesson's about. Yep. Yeah, or more so, yeah, yeah, what they're learning. Yeah, yep. rather than like, what not what we're doing, what we're learning today. That's awesome. Yeah. And they're using use um, whiteboards in the lessons? Uh, yes. Okay. So, yeah. So, a student will walk into the room um, and uh, what we've... So, so in terms of full participation, um, uh, the standard practice is to use the, um, the mini whiteboards for a daily review. Um, and often that's usually just for retrieving and applying um, things that we've taught them. Um, there will be reteach moments in there, but um, not so much. So uh, for my classrooms and for the teaching teams I work with, um, the whiteboards, are, the whiteboard markers for me, are, well, actually, no, just me. I leave the whiteboard markers uh, in a prominent position. So students walk in and grab a whiteboard marker. And um, I guess through the training that I've received, um, I've been pretty um, explicit about demonstrating those um, beha- those learning norms. And so um, now, here we are, we're in June. So now it's it's part of what they do when they walk into the classroom. They grab a text out, they pull out their mini whiteboards, which um, uh, I'm pretty bad at um, moving around carrying whiteboards or organising my um, cupboards in a really nice way. Um, so uh, we use a, a nice piece of card in a heavy-duty plastic sleeve. Um, while we are... Um, not entirely happy about the environmental impact of them. I actually find that plastic sleeves work better than the um, than the commercial whiteboards, and it gives me the scope. I can put in a, a template, you know, uh, anything that I could use in a daily review, um, so the students can actually have like a slightly different um, whiteboard if they need be. And this was one of the, um, I guess, strategies that you used in implementing it across K to twelve. Yes somewhat um an option to put it in a sleeve to make things easier yeah that's to right. implement and yeah. to provide the paddle pop sticks for everyone as well yeah that's right so um you know as facili- acting facilitator of pedagogy uh it was fantastic and really easy to just order a bunch of plastic sleeves and a bunch of card and say to the whole um college of staff you know come and get all the materials and um that just removes one of those um, barriers uh, for staff and I know that um, I've given out about 400 mini whiteboards to students and students are carrying them around and they carry them into their classes. That's easy. Um, oh, it's fantastic. Yep. And, you know, I, it, again, it, it removes that barrier for me. The students walk in and grab a marker and they're ready to go. Yep. Um, I've noticed uh, when I've been looking at um, some schools in the ACT that um, some schools are incorporating them in part of their diary, um, like the back page is a laminated page or something similar. 
Um, we're looking at that for next year. I think that's a great idea as well. You've um, been talking about paddle pop sticks, but that must be challenging if you've got multiple classes to have like paddle pop sticks for every class. Is um, that something that you've had to work around? Yes, it is. And uh, look, paddle, paddle pop sticks works well for um, for the primary classes. Um, and it it was definitely where science started. I still haven't got to my daily reviews yet, Luke. But <laughs> we'll get so, there. Uh, yeah, we'll get there. Um, no, I think uh, one of my colleagues um, who has done the training earlier than me said, look, just grab a deck of cards. And um, on the deck of cards, I just use a different colour pen. I'm holding them now, actually. I use a different colour pen um, per class. So I've got all of my U12's names written with a black pen on one side of the card. Just looking at the tenor hearts here. I've got um, a different class with a different colour and I've just like, written names all the way around the cards. So I carry one little deck of cards next to my phone in my pocket. Um, it's a nice visual cue and I just stand there shuffling the deck of cards. I'm a maths teacher, so it's also nice to talk about that, even though it's not critical content. There's actually more ways to shuffle a deck of cards than there are atoms on the planet. And that's a good conversation to have. Well, is there really? There are more ways to shuffle a deck of cards than there are atoms in you and me and the desks and the chairs. And anyway, so um, so the students can see I've got the deck of cards and, um, and you know, there's there's your obligatory um, participation and engagement um, as they... And I put... I'm, as I ask a question, I draw a card and whoever's on it gets the question and the card goes back into the deck, as I understand most, you know, most people's practices. Um, and, um, and and I've, I've found that to be... Um, uh, that supports that participation, but also, you know... I guess Dylan Willem's been talking about this kind of stuff in terms of non-volunteer questioning, in terms of being more democratic as well as um, giving um, a lot of feedback and opportunity for, for success for a while. Um, I do like it. Uh, I've seen and heard lots of stories of students who um, maybe don't feel comfortable uh, having their card drawn. And uh, I hear that quite a lot, actually. And there's a lot, there's a lot we can talk about with that in terms of strategies um, to get around it. I, look, I've seen some, in some situations, teachers just put that particular card in their top pocket for today and this week perhaps, and we'd really like to see you um, maybe slip it back into the pack later on. But um, actually what I um, what I tend to do instead, and I've I found it to be really successful, and it's not something I've ever done before, um, and I'm, I'm talking about pair sharing now. Um, you know, look, I, I've been teaching for 20 years, and... While, you know, I'm aware of think-pair-share strategies, I've never really had it in my practice. Um, but now, you know, it would happen 20 times a lesson. So uh, during any kind of um, moment, uh, particularly with the mini whiteboards, you know, when I ask a question or there's a question on the screen or, or um, I'd ask students to write using using the scripts from the training. So whatever they've got on their, on their boards, they've, they've binned it. And they're they're writing it on their mini whiteboards in quietly. Then they'd um, they'd share with their partner, and I'd count them in with a three, two, one. And then that gives those who are feeling a bit nervous or anxious to um, to hold up an answer, whether it's right or wrong, an opportunity to have that success by sharing with their partner. Um, I don't do it um, every single time, but I actually do it quite often, and I found um, I found that to be quite helpful um, for those students who are not comfortable. But also, you know. If I'm if I'm in sitting in my class and I know I have to hover and then chin my whiteboard in a second, um, you know, that's that's breeding that participation. But 
before that happens, if I know, I have to have a quick conversation with whoever I'm sitting next to. Um, you know, there's a bit more accountability there for me. Um, and that's not really an optional thing. Um, sure, there might be some students who take that opportunity just to, um, to write down what their neighbours got. But, you know, as educators, we can see that and we can, you know, make adjustments on the fly. So, so I use the deck of cards for my non-volunteer questioning. And um, on those days that I, um, I've left them on my desk or they're not in my pocket or whatever, I actually feel the void. Like I feel that whole um you know if i'm if i'm just asking students to if i'm asking students randomly if i'm just picking kids uh i find i find it a bit difficult and not quite as democratic as if i'm using the cards and it doesn't i don't think it works as well i can understand that yeah um is there i just got some notes here about a conversation we previously had about um your principal shane yes and a selfie stick Yes. Can you tell us the story about that? <laughs> well, we um, uh, look one of I think one of the the bits of success for our story is um, is that um, the leadership team give uh, nice frequent reminders during staff meetings um, to um, to continue to build uh, on what we're doing with Catalyst. Uh, we've got a, a pedagogical development group. And one of the um, one of the main priorities of, of the group for this year is to continue to build those high impact teaching strategies in our classrooms. So it's very much um, in front of us as our, as the business of what we're doing. Um, so we have a highly engaged leadership team, and as part of the um, part of the the HITP training deliverables, uh, we need to record some of our lessons down here. And um, so Shane Giles, the principal, has been quite happy to jump into people's classrooms with a $5 little um, flexible selfie ring light um, piece of um, stuff I got from a local department store. And, and so he's been um, filming people for their deliverables and, um, and that's been keeping him in touch with, with what's happening. And, and some of the conversations that have happened out of that have been fantastic, you know. Um, I guess as a, as a classroom teacher... I don't always get to see what other people are doing. Um, as you know, as the facilitator of pedagogy, uh, to assist people to you know enact their their personal learning goals and to help them develop their um, their practice, it's really nice to know it, ex- good examples of practice and to hear Shane um, give account of classrooms that he's been in where. Um, you know, like stage six um, religion classes where the kind of um, uh, feedback that students and the teachers have received by using the mini whiteboards. You know, it's it, Shane said the learning's really been moved from just surface retrieval to actually quite deep thinking and, and, um, and like deep inquiry questions about, you know, religious um, ideas. Um, that, you know, I wouldn't otherwise see as a maths teacher or, or necessarily expect. Um, so, yeah, so that's, um, that's been a fun, a fun unintended side effect of the work that we're doing. Toby, let's jump to your daily reviews now. Okay. Um, can you tell us a bit about them? Uh, well, if, if I haven't mentioned it, I'm very um, fortunate to be in a team of people who have done the training before me. So, um, uh, some of my colleagues have said things like, I think everyone should be doing this stuff. I can really see the benefit of it. Um, and, you know, we're talking about the, daily, the, the structured daily reviews, which is, um, which is time to break up of content and practice time. 
that um, that we start that I start each lesson with now. Um, well, well, I guess I'll, I'll talk about my old practice because we've been having that conversation a little bit. You know, um, I you know I understand that it's good, and it is one of the principles of what Rosenstein's principles to review the work. So, I I would usually um, start my mass lessons with a bit of a quiz or something like that, and I'd I'd place the work in that context, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't be all the time necessarily, and it would most most of the time be you know off the top of my head, and certainly not as intentional as what I'm doing now. Um, and yeah, and that's I guess similar to like what did we do last lesson? Conversation. Um, so following that, we do a bit of work and do a bit of practice. Um, following the training here, um, the daily reviews are a lot more structured and do take a bit more time of the lesson. Um, and the guided notes, in addition to the uh, so in addition to the daily review, I follow that with the guided notes, and, and that does reduce the practice time. Um, I understand that that practice time is actually um, still being had, but in subsequent daily reviews um, over the next coming days and in the next cycle, and that will continue. So we'll just jump in here, um, and can you tell us these guided notes you speak about? Those notes are about the lesson, but have been written previously by the teacher to guide the learning that's right yeah and that's exactly right yep. i guess it's but they're f- and they're for the te- uh, students yes yeah, so each so the students receive a copy of the guided notes and the way we do it is um we project the um the guided notes onto the board and um think uh, sort of closed passage um but but it's very explicit and guided yeah so 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 with a with a lesson with a slightly different structure now um I'm making sure a lot of that practice time uh, does get into that daily review. We tend to use um, templates that are similar um, to the ones we've received from TeachWell, but not identical. Um, ours are um, mostly um, uh, retrieve and apply. Um, and look, for, for my stage six classes, it's a fantastic opportunity actually to put HSC or summative um, assessment style questions uh, into their work so that they can see that um, quite regularly. I... Um, I tell my stage six at the moment, they actually probably are the most reviewed um, cohort I've ever seen, actually, um, which, you know, I need to be careful of superlatives, but it is it's it is wonderful to see um, how these students retrieve content that, you know, I've been teaching at this level for a long time. I haven't really seen as much before, um, and... It's a nice contrast to a lot of the despair that we otherwise hear about the TikTok generation and all that kind of stuff. So, um, uh, so yeah, so so I'll sit up in bed in the morning and um, you know what this doesn't sound. I guess this is the unglamorous side of teaching, but you know the way I do my preparations, I, it takes me about five minutes um, for each of my lessons for the day to make a daily review. Again, because the templates are there, um, and I'm I'm dropping in bits of the content that I've taught um, either recently or, um, you know, in the past. And quite often the last question would be a segue into the the current work for the lesson. Just a quick comment maybe on differentiation about in, within that daily review. Yes. Um, how, do you, how does that look in a high school setting? Yeah, okay. We're usually talking retrieve, um, retrieval of, um, of facts and information. So... Uh, for, for me, I guess uh, there's um, it's 
uh, it's done with a sense of urgency. And so it's, it's done quite quickly and we're, we're building that capacity in that space. So I guess it would be the lower order style questions. So, um, so I guess it would be directed for um, the students getting practice um, who would be maybe in the bottom 25%. I guess I guess think doing burpees and push-ups and stuff. So, you know, um, so a lot more retrieval and with, um, I guess, high intensity and um, with a sense of urgency um, to get those uh, reps in. Um, however, um, uh, I like to put some spicy questions in there as well because um, I think that's an important part of practice. Uh, so, you know, a, a daily review, I, I can imagine a graded one which would start easier and get harder. Um, and um, so I guess some students would not be able to do some of the more difficult um, questions. Um, and... You know, I guess, I guess, like like all assessment, um, you know, I know where the students are, and they know where they are. So, um, you know, we're not creating any new information there, but um, we're providing. I, I think it, um, that style of daily review, which is graded and gets harder, um, provides that opportunity for students actually to see. Um, that next little, um, that next little step, you know, where they're moving to, um, you know, and and helps them, guides them to get to that, even if they can't um, actually get to there that uh, at that time. Um, some of my my classes um, get quite boisterous, and um, and when there are students who maybe um, aren't right where they need to be, I, I hear them starting to chant things like reteach, reteach. Um, and others will um, because they need the reteach. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yep. because they need the reteach in that moment, or you know, it might be a moment they're feeling a bit lazy or whatever. Um, so, um, quite often, um, the response from the room will be, "This isn't a reteach moment," or "This is a retrieve question." Um, and so, your students that's, that's know the know funny. the language, yes. know the language of HITP. It's it's fallen into um it's into the teacher talk and it's fallen into the vernacular of the students in some of my classes yeah which you know they say it with a smile on their face but they're absolutely using the language yeah. and so if you were to say something off topic they would critical content sir it's not critical content they'd pull you up on it they would absolutely pull me up on it and then um and if I retort that perhaps in this instance because sometimes I think I'm hilarious. Um, and, you know, it might be a moment where I'm trying to build a relationship with a particular student, um, I would be reminded that I need to be operating with a sense of urgency as well about critical content. Okay. Um, and, again, it's tongue-in-cheek and they like ribbing the teacher, but they're exactly right and they're using the language of their high-impact teaching practices. So we can see from this that they're engaged. Yeah. They know what Absolutely. They, they know when they walk in the room, they know what the lesson, the intent of the lesson is, they know how to get success out of that lesson, and they know... Along the way, that they've, how long is your lessons? In uh, we have fifty minutes. Fifty lessons. minutes that they, there's a, a sense of urgency. Yes. To complete that lesson. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So they're all all on board with you when they walk in. It's obligatory participation. They don't have a choice. And you know, like like many teachers, I'd argue all that, a lot of that happened previously, but um, I think what I'm seeing now is I'm seeing um, actually. I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't be able to put my hand on my heart and say I, I would. I I used to have so much engagement or so much participation. I definitely um, wasn't providing um, so much opportunity for success, and I wasn't seeing so much joy in my in my classes. Um, 
as I do um, by using these strategies. And, and I guess also, you know, if I look at the landscape of the college, um, there's, a, there's a lot less variance across the college and what the students um, see. So, um, so what the student experience in my classroom is a familiar one and I think that, um, that knowing what you're walking into helps a lot of students, particularly um, in 2023 we've had a lot of fires down here and we've had COVID and there's been a lot of uncertainty. Yep. So that consistency is important and I think, I think it's a real strength. In your role, how have you brought that about, that um, alignment across the school? How did you create consistency when you have different faculty areas? Yeah, that's a great question. Oh, I'm not, um, you know, I always want more. I'm not convinced we're entirely there yet, but um, I, th- I, th- I think I'm, it's a system-wide approach, you know. Um, we've, we've spoken about um, the professional learning we had in Canberra together on day one, you know, when we, we all get together and see that we're all talking the same language and, and doing the same work, I think that's important. I think having the leadership team on board is is important. Um, we've had staff time allocated to um, to developing and building these strategies and talking about the strategies um, in our faculties. And um, while... Uh, I'm not sure exactly how many, I think maybe 30 um, staff of about uh, 70 or 80 teaching staff have done the training. Um, uh, the um, Our AP for curriculum and our principal have made sure that the staff who have been trained um, come from a wide cross-section of the school, both primary and secondary. And then, of course, the fun stuff. I've been able to buy all the mini whiteboards, all the decks of cards. I feel like I'm a casino some days, and I've got um, I've got a bunch of found things that help as well. Um, so, I guess I guess there's a consistent rollout, a consistent message that's happening. And yeah, have you? We've talked about students before, yes. but and that was I guess incidental feedback. Have you had other different types of student feedback about the change in pedagogy that's happened across the school? Have they? Made comments about this throughout the over the over time. Yeah, I mean, part of the Teach Well um, product is they collect data from our classes, and so I'm I've only done my before samples, but there would be um, there would be data from those surveys. Um, I've had uh, anecdotal reports from teachers. Uh, someone said to me yesterday, "I think everyone should be doing this," uh, which is to say, all the teachers. Um, I see the benefit. The students are engaged and they're enjoying it. Um, someone said to me uh, this morning that um, I think it was a friend of one of their child, uh, you know, talking about their maths classroom, and you know, I find this astonishing. It's, I guess it's difficult talking about um, students enjoying our own classes, but the the feedback that they gave to me was someone that they didn't expect would say that they enjoyed maths, that they enjoy maths, um, which I think is fantastic, um, and I think it makes a difference. Uh, our learning enrichment um, and learning support team have reported to teachers that um, that the students that they have contact with, um, you know, the, the students on the margins have said that they love uh, their strategies. And, and I think pa- a big part of that is um, that it's predictable. Uh, students know what they're going to get. Um, they have full, um, they have many opportunities for success and success feels good. And it breeds enjoyment, and I, I think for teenagers, um, 
not having the option um, to be engaged, I think is helpful. Um, again, you know, we're halfway through the year now, so we have been quite explicit um, about um, the teaching norms. And by this stage, um, I, I think a lot of the students have discovered that um, they don't need to push back against it because the story's not going to change. It's going to be the same every lesson. Um, you know, we've just we've just walked through um, a year nine class and it was, I guess, populated by students who aren't traditionally good at maths and they don't traditionally enjoy maths. And um, I, got, I don't know how you felt, but I loved being there because, um, you know, I it was motivating. Seeing, I love seeing students who would, you know, normally be in trouble or normally be um, not in class because of their behaviour, kind of having conversations about like terms and algebra, and and correcting each other and correcting each other on yeah. the right on the right answers. Yeah, and um, the other thing that I enjoyed, and he, 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 this is a this is a, a qualitative data point, you know, um, Luke, when we were in that year eleven English class. When the students turned to each other and held held up their mini whiteboards, uh, I saw that girl on the other side of the room enthusiastically stabbing her partner's mini whiteboard um, with, you know, an answer like a, a eureka moment. Of course, you know, like that's the one that I wanted, and you know that stuff's priceless. And again, it would happen in our classrooms, um, um, you know, five years ago. But this is an intentional way, and I think the frequency of success for me, I see, I see happen. Um, a lot and some of that learning there in that high school space when they're showing each other from each other uh, learning and in, and in the primary space too but that's they may not necessarily have learnt that it may not have been a, a teaching point at the time yeah. but they've picked it up from their partner they like that answer mm. they'll remember it well as the social cognitive stuff as well isn't there that's yeah, right that's how, yeah. we, how we create learning yeah absolutely so hmm. where are you oh hang on I'd, so um also, one of my colleagues, um, who hopefully you get to speak with later on the day, she was um, doing the role of uh, of learning data and technologies coordinator um, last year, and we had occasion to have a look at um, some of our PAT test data. And again, I'm not I'm not as close to it as as Naomi is, but um, and while there's a lot there's a lot to each story um, for her class, I think she attributed a lot of the growth that she could see um, to the change in her practice um, and the implementation of these high-impact teaching practices. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd like, I look forward to, um, to hearing you talk to her about that later in the day. I look forward to talking to yeah. her as well. Yeah. Um, what have you... The, the school is a K-12 school. Yes. And we talked previously about the variance across the, the school itself. Because a primary space and a high school space, mm -hmm. have you observed any differences in implementation with primary and high school? Um, yes, I have. Um, and I guess, and we were talking about this earlier on. Um, you know, the for me, the space for you know my my fifty minutes that I spend with students are quite structured, and you know. Uh, you know, the daily review happens, the guided notes happen, and the practice time happens. And um, I'm working from a syllabus, and we've got syllabus documents. Um, 
and that's in a secondary setting. Of course, it's different in primary. So every time students walk into the room, um, it's it's probably not always the best to do a daily review of what you've of what you've previously learned with um with a formal PowerPoint. Um, uh, and so uh, I have received some um, some research on that from the Teach World team actually about best practice. But um, you know, in terms of those participation and engagement strategies, the primary um, students will be engaged in different ones. Um, I think traditionally um, there's been a lot of choral um, type work in primary. Um, uh, that would have been an, a traditional difference. I've actually brought that into my teaching, which I've never done before, and I think it's absolutely fantastic. So I'm enjoying that a lot. Um, I think uh, I've seen that the primary staff uh, gesture um somewhat more than um, the secondary staff might do where I work um, and uh, traditionally there's been more kind of inclusive reading I think in a primary setting um, but that's definitely some strategies that we've been encouraged to um, develop and um, and I am developing them but you know pronouncing syllables and um, and active tracking and um, and those kind of um, text tactics I think I would I would. Ex- I have seen more in the primary setting, um, but I, I I believe in their efficacy, and um, and I I've been trying to incorporate them into my practice, and I I think that that kind of is the picture of of what I'm seeing in terms of how I've changed is a lot of those really excellent explicit teaching tools that primary teachers use have been amplified and and brought into my space um, to improve um, improve the student learning outcomes, improve the engagement, improve participation. So things that are traditionally primary, thought to be primary school related, are now filtering into high school. Well, that's my that's they're my words. They're your words. Yeah, yep. absolutely. You know, like, from what so, you've done. In yeah, your practice, that's right. You know, like, and you're seeing them work. So in the last twenty years, how often have I done like choral reading, and you know. My answer to that question is not much, but but now um, that I have um, that I'm using, um, you know, the guided notes, and I'm trying to be deliberate about um, incorporating these strategies and having them visible in the classroom, and I believe in them. Um, choral reading will be in my class, and um, and it's a fun flip to the choral reversal. And I enjoy when um, when members of the executive are doing um, doing learning walks, and they will walk into my classroom. And I'll hand them my non-volunteer cards, and I'll I'll get them to do the volunteering, or I'll get them to do the choral reversal. And um, you know, it's not for us, but um, but it's enjoyable, and it's it's I think it's great for the students to see that we're enjoying the teaching as well, and that we're we're learners. Can you just explain for our listeners what the choral reversal is? Okay. Um, yeah, sure. So um, I'm just trying to think of a fantastic example. Oh, um, okay. So, um, well, Luke, we'll, actually, Luke, we were talking about the normal distribution before. Um, I'm just going to grab a piece of paper here because I think it's important to have the words. So, um, so a normal distribution is characterised um, by a mean and a standard deviation. So I would, um, can you read my scrawly handwriting there? A normal distribution is characterised by a mean and a standard deviation. No, I can't read your writing. (laughs) (laughs) 
A normal distribution is characterized by a mean and a standard okay. deviation. So you, you can read you can you can read with me and please you can say the stuff that I've written in lead pencil and I'll say the the other words. Okay, so let's do it together on okay. three, two, one. A normal, normal distribution, distribution is characterized by a mean, mean and, and a standard, standard deviation. deviation. Okay. I've got um I've got a mean and a standard deviation here. Look at this picture. What does a mean and standard deviation characterize? Normal distribution. Uh, because a normal distribution is characterized by a mean, mean and, and a standard, standard deviation. deviation. Okay, so I don't think I'm going to forget that because I didn't know that before. <laughs> it probably it doesn't mean anything to you, probably, but it doesn't. <laughs> not, not just yet, no. <laughs> yeah. So, Toby, what's next for you and your school? Okay. Um, so, um, again, yeah, I'm... I would, I would love to see, you know, I would love those to see that catalyst goal about the high impact teaching practices that they're visible in every classroom. So, um, so when, when we're walking around, um, we can see teachers are clutching, clutching non-volunteer question things just as a part of their practice because it's good practice um, and, and things like that. Um, we'd really like to see... Um, uh, uh, a, a pilot. Oh, so okay. So uh, we've been looking at um at uh, you know, universal design for learning. Um, in addition, it's another one of our priorities. I think it's it's excellent practice, and we'd really like to get um again. This is we'd really like to get what I think, what I see as a primary model where there's where there's a teacher who knows their students, um, and they um, make adjustments. That um, are for everyone, and um, so that everyone has access to to the learning and to show what they've learnt. Um, they use the full participation strategies, um, and um, and we're very explicit about inquiry learning. Oh, we haven't even talked about self regulation strategies yet, which I think are really important here. But so so all of that kind of stuff that I see in primary, I would like to um, I'd like to um, to build that into a secondary setting in a way, for example. Uh, we take a um, a class, um, maybe uh, or a stage, and we look at, say, for example, Year Eight One, and all of Year Eight One's teachers. Um, so the Year Eight One student gets the high impact teaching practices in all of their classes. They have um, we have a shared like so a layered approach. So we've got the HITP stuff. We've got um, the universal design for learning stuff um, consistent across that classroom, and and we have the kind of the same kind of inquiry practices that we're using and self-regulation strategies that we're explicit about in across that class across all the different teachers, and um, so it's, I mean it's almost uh, Shane and I were talking about it in terms of meta programming or meta teaching. Not that that's a that's a term, but just having a look at. Um, that kind of consistency and elevation of the work above just the classroom space at the secondary setting for, um, you know, highly visible HITP in every classroom. Yeah, and and that's, how, that's what I'd really like to see here. Yeah. What do you know now that you didn't know before? And what do you do now that you didn't do before? Well, I... I intentionally do a lot of um, a lot of choral reading and choral response. <laughs> I intentionally carry around decks of cards and mini whiteboards and textures and and all kinds of things. But actually, that's just code for what I do is I give so much opportunity for success 
I, I watch students enjoy what they're doing a lot more than previously. I give a lot more um, formative feedback um, within seconds um, more than I did before. Um, and, you know, I am, I am convinced. Um, I'm convinced that this stuff works. I'm, I'm absolutely enamoured with the fact that... Um, that it's all research-based. Um, uh, you know, a, a strong part of our culture here, you know, in our, in our teaching teams and things like our pedagogical development group um, is having a look at um, contemporary academic research um, about education and best practice and applying that in our college. And, um, and, and I can see that that is a basis for for what we're rolling out here, and I like it. Um, uh, in I guess in that conversation, I I often I, I, this is actually something that I know now that I, I didn't know before. Um, I often see, uh, and this might not be the right moment for us to have this conversation. It might be too big, but you know, um, I, I used to understand. Well, I used to see people talking about a continuum between inquiry learning and um, and explicit and direct instruction, and and I think a lot of a lot of what happens in my classroom now is ex- explicit and direct instruction, um, and I I it's not I don't believe it is a continuum. It's not one or the other uh, in in everything that I've seen, but in the in the the educators' practice here and in other schools, I've seen people be very explicit with students about how to do inquiry and how to do it well. Um, and I think that's really important. So I think they, they it's almost like, it's more like a Venn diagram actually with um, explicit and direct instruction, inquiry learning with some self-regulation thrown in and, and where I, what I know now is I, I really try to dwell in the middle and um, apart from being, um, you know, uh, explicit about not just, um, you know, the content and about knowledge and knowledge in, in my area and skills in my area, uh, I in the last few years I've now been um, quite explicit about about behaviours and about self-regulation. I think the first thing that we did with Catalyst was um, was almost a scope and sequence of um, of teaching um, behaviour norms in the classroom, perhaps um, from memory. Um, there there was an online unit. On yeah, behavior. yeah, yeah, and and um, you know watching that um, come to life in in the, in teaching teams that I work with has been fantastic, but actually. For me, um, being very explicit about self-regulation strategies and having um, and incorporating that into um, a desired outcome for a particular lesson with a success criteria. And again, these you know it's it's difficult to see. Um, I noticed myself uh, losing concentration. I took four breaths and I refocused, and I did that three times in the lesson. That, that's difficult to see. So. Um, to get students to notice that and then provide feedback to me about when they do it and how they do it. Um, that's something which is, which I, I think um, has happened in my practice and in my classrooms before, but not in such a systematic and, um, and on, on purpose way. So uh, I think students who can self-regulate have, will, will always do, but those who don't, I have realised that I've been worried about um, 
where and when they get um, these skills. And, and I think that things like self-regulate, if I, if I consider myself as a learner, you know, I kind of always framed it, you know, now as an adult with, um, with different brain architecture to our, to our students, you know, I thought, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm really good at inquiry. I can just sit there and, and go off on my own and do my learning journeys and come back and I've got new information. But actually a lot of what I'm describing is my self-regulation that I've built up over, you know, all of the years of being an adult and, and going through teenagerhood. So, um, so I'm now being very explicit about self-regulation strategies and I've used this framework um, with some of these high-impact teaching um, strategies, the intentions, the success criteria, um, you know, we talk about them um, using those short short and same tactics as choral responses um, and we do demonstrations and we talk about them with non-volunteers and pair share stuff. So, um, so that, that, is, that is new to me and I've discovered that through... Um, through the work here um, and I really appreciate it because um, I hope that all of those things that make that make good students are now a little bit more explicit um, for my um, students and I think you know it really appeals to me because um, you know I, I deal with the, the, the end of high school I watch people finish um, high school you know it's fantastic for um, our students who are on the margins. It's fantastic for if we're talking about um, closing the gap. It's fantastic for low socioeconomic students, students without the cultural capital to otherwise have these things. Um, and so that, I guess that's what's new for me. Well, I just wanted to thank you once again for taking the time out of your day, uh, the opportunity to go around your school, have a look at some classes, observe some teaching, and see uh, the HITP in action. It's just been an awesome experience, Toby. And just want to say thanks. Thanks for being on the show. And we look forward to hearing more about what's in your space into the future. Thanks, Lou. Thanks, Lou. You're right. Thanks for joining us on Teacher Insights. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite platform so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in learning more about Catalyst, check out the website catalyst.cg.catholic.edu.au. Until next time, keep learning.